Well, good morning. It's a little overwhelming to think when you think our sins are many, what that means. Uh, so it just kind of got to me this morning as I think about, you know, who I am and where I'm from and that I would get to stand up in front of people and talk about Jesus is pretty amazing. And then not just who I am and where I'm from and what I've done, think about how many sins have I accumulated today, this week, right? And I get to stand and talk to you about Jesus. Like, that's pretty overwhelming because our sins, there are many, and his mercy is more than all of that. It's more than all of that. Why would I want to waste a minute of my life if that's true? Why would I want to play around with all this other stuff that I get distracted with, if that's true? Why would I want to spend my days just going through the motions, playing around, if that's true? And so I want to encourage you, and I want to encourage me today, for us to be a people that don't waste our lives, that don't waste our semesters, that don't waste our moments, that don't waste it. If my count was right, somewhere like four out of the five people that were baptized today were high school or college students when they came to faith in Christ. What does it mean as you come back to a new semester that you're going to walk onto a campus with 26,000 people and the best chance they'll have in their entire life to come to faith in Christ is this period of their lives? And you have... So today we're going to talk about not wasting our lives. We're going to be in what's called the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. And uh, as we get into that, like the book of Matthew, it opens up and it introduces Jesus to us in this way. He's Emmanuel. And then he tells us what that means. God with us. That God would invade where you live. That God would walk the earth you walk on. That God would face what you face. Because he was tempted in every way, just like we are, yet he was without sin. That God is near and has experienced the world you live in. You know how the book of Matthew ends? We'll read it in just a second. I am with you always until the end of the age. And so in the book of Matthew, we're introduced to Jesus, the Messiah. In the book of Matthew, we're introduced to this this guy who has these norm-shattering lifestyle where he has compassion on outcasts who shouldn't be welcomed to tables, and yet he goes and sits at their table and is welcomed by them, and he welcomes them. We are met with this guy who breaks all of the norms, and he goes to sinners instead of repulsing himself from sinners. We're met with a guy who has this earth-shattering teaching as he goes up on a mountain and declares to us, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom. Oh, but blessed are a different kind of people, the poor kind of people, the poor in spirit kind of people. Blessed are the people who hunger and thirst, not that are full, that hunger and thirst for the righteousness that only he can give. This earth-shattering teaching. And then we are horrified as we gaze on the scene of the cross 
And then we're raised back to exaltation and joy and celebration as we meet the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Given by the resurrected Jesus. A task for the church and a task for his people. It's the great commission that we're going to see here. It's a task that is worth your life. In fact, it's a task that should define your life. Is it a task that's easy? No. There's thousands and hundreds of thousands of bloody saints' bodies on the ground because of the task. Is the task easy? No, the task isn't easy. But it's worth it. And you will never waste your life if you give your life to this commission. You'll never waste your life if you do that. It's hard, but it's worth it, and it will never be wasted. Let's read, and then we'll pray. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee and to the mountain in which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold... I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, Father, thank you for mercy that is higher than our sin can accumulate. Thank you for mercy that would come for us when we are dead in our sins and trespasses, walking according to the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, governed by our lust and our desires, and you would invade our lives because, not of us, but because of the great love with which you love us, because of your mercy that comes from your great love. And it is my plea, Father, That if there's anyone in this room who you have not invaded their life, that the goodness and kindness of our God, our Savior, has appeared and saved us. It hasn't appeared to one heart in this room, Father, that you'd go appear right now. Show Jesus to them right now. Show their sin to them right now. Show them mercy that is more right now. And Father, I pray that the names and the faces of countless people we pass day in and day out, week in and week out, would burn on our minds a burden. For your name and your glory in their lives. And we'd burn for this task and nothing else. I pray for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you don't want to waste your semester, and if you don't want to waste your life, then invest your life in Christ-centered disciple-making. Invest your life in Christ-centered disciple-making. The first step, if that's going to be true, go with daily intentionality while open to being sent to the nations. Go with daily intentionality while open to being sent to the nation. Do you know how much effort it takes to waste your life? Zero. Do you know how easy and normal and natural it is to waste your life and your time? Super easy. Easiest thing you'll ever do on earth is waste your life away. Right? To go through the motions, to go through the routines, to go through the, the ruts. It's the easiest thing in the world to just wake up and do what everybody else does. To just wake up and do what you have to do and what you want to do. Easiest thing on earth. How many people do you miss when you do that? Right? Because if you notice, like people become the scenery of your life. Right? You're, you're main stage on the play and you, you, you walk to camp, you walk across campus to get to class, you walk across the parking lot to get to work, and people just are there. They're just scenery. You don't see them. 
You don't think about them. I don't see them and I don't think about them. I've got a task to do. I'm going to work. I'm going to class. How many people do we miss when we do that? How many moments and opportunity for God to invade our little ordinary world do we miss when we do that? Right? And so it takes no effort to waste your life. It, It takes intentionality. If you're going to not waste your life, if you're going to make it make a difference. And so I think there's two branches to this, this stream called intentionality uh, in this message. The first one would be go with open eyes and open ears. Live with open eyes and open ears. Right? Don't let people fade into the background of your walk across campus, your walk to work, your, your normal lunch routines, your walking around the neighborhood. Don't let people become senior. Let them be people and, and look at them and see them. And like be talking to God. God, who do I need to see? Who do I need to interact with? Who do you want to walk into their lives and use me to be part of that? And and God, let me hear. What do you want to say to people? And if you were to just walk through your life seeing people, and then this is hard for people like Chris, hearing them, listening to people, hearing what's really going on. And, And so intentionally walk through your life. Right? And so you're going to campus tomorrow. you got classes. They're bright and early. And so you... Or you could open your eyes and you could open your ears. You could pop those suckers out, put them back in their little protective case, let them charge. They'll be ready for you next time you need them. You could stick your phone in your pocket, never look at it again until you're back wherever. And you say, God, who's around me? God, who do I need to meet? God, who do you want to go talk to? And you could just see who he introduces you to. You could just see the people. So intentionality, stream one, like open your eyes and open your ears to the normal, the people around you. The second thing of intentionality, though, because you're like, I'm busy. Yeah, I know you're busy. Busy, too. I'm not asking you to add anything to your life when I talk about intentionality. What I'm asking is you do your life on purpose with purpose. How do you do day in and day out normal life on purpose with purpose, because you know what's going to happen if you don't. Something will govern your life. Something will take your priority. Something will fill your life. And it's either going to be you that sets that agenda with God, or it's going to be all the other stuff and all the other people around you. And so, will you do your life on purpose with purpose? I imagine you do this thing called eating on a regular basis. How often could it be in your normal eating that you do anyways that other people come along and you eat with them and you talk and jesus is part of that conversation how many other believers could you encourage that way if you used your meals right you live in neighborhoods by people you go to sports by people you do hobbies by people what does it take to do that on purpose for the purpose of making disciples and i just want to challenge you and i want to encourage you to do your life on purpose to live with some intentionality to it let's jump into the to the text as we as we get into that, by the way, life is a very ordinary thing. If you're a young professional, you're probably just now learning this. Life is highly repetitive. Right? You thought there's going to be this great adventure called work and you find out, no, it's day in and day out of roughly the same thing and roughly the same routine. Life becomes very ordinary, doesn't it? And it is a walk with Jesus and the invasion of Jesus in ordinary that makes it extraordinary. Ordinary Bible reading, extraordinary because of the presence of Jesus. Ordinary prayer, 
Extraordinary because of the presence of Jesus. Ordinary conversations with brothers and sisters in Christ. Extraordinary because Jesus shows up on the scene. Ordinary conversations with some lost kid about biology in school. And Jesus wants to invade. And it's Jesus that makes ordinary extraordinary. All right, so look at it. As we, as we jump into the text, it says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Right, and so why do I say Christ-centered making disciples? Like, everything should be Christ-centered. Is that just a tagline I'm throwing on it? No, the Great Commission that commands you is about Jesus. You see that? It begins with all authority given to me. How does it end? My presence. So the sovereign authority of Jesus to rule the nations and command his people is met with the presence of Jesus that will be with his people until the end of the age. All authority has been given to me. And since I have authority that is sovereign over the nations, and if I have authority uh, over uh, educational systems, and if I have authority over universities, and he has authority over every single molecule in all of creation, it's his. It belongs to him over every governmental structure. It's his. It belongs to him over every virus and every variant. It's his. And it belongs to him. He is in sovereign authority over all things. He has the power over them and the rightful rule over all of them. And if that's the case, then there is no place you can go that says off limits to Jesus. You can't bring Jesus here because he shatters those doors, walks in and says, this is mine. You can't keep me out. You can punish the people for being here, but you cannot keep it out. It's my authority for them to be here. And if it's true that he is, has sovereign authority over all things, and he won you by his death and resurrection from death to life, then he has sovereign authority to command you as people to go be about this stuff. And so he says, go, therefore, because of my authority, go and make disciples. The Great Commission has one single command in it. Which means the church has one thing that is essential. And if it's doing that one thing, then it's going to work out all right. But if it's not doing that one thing, it doesn't matter how many good things that our church is filled with and how many good activities we do. If you're not doing the main thing, you've kind of missed out, right? The church is filled with is people. You're his people, right? And so there's one thing for your life to be about. And if your life is about this one thing, then you kind of got the big stuff covered and the rest is going to work out. And if it's not ever doing that one thing, then you can do all these good things, all these studies, all this church stuff that you want to do. But you've missed the big thing. What's the big thing? Make disciples. The central command of the Great Commission is make disciples. It is not start an evangelistic campaign, though you should evangelize. It's make disciples. It is not go to the nations, though you should go to the nations. It's make disciples. By the way, I am certain with great confidence that God is calling some of you in this room to leave where you are, to go to the nations, to declare his glory for the sake of the name of Jesus, to declare and seek the obedience of the faith for the glory of Jesus among all the nations. I, I just believe that God is calling people from every gathered group of believers to go to the nations. And we're so distracted we miss the call. We're so consumed with our comfort and our stuff that we miss the call. Don't miss the call. But make disciples is the central command. Uh, Saturate defines discipleship this way. It is we bring all of life, the whole thing, increasingly under the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. 
It is to take all of life, the whole thing, and bring it increasingly under the influence of, of the empowering presence and the lordship of Jesus Christ. We miss this, right? Because we think discipleship is, I do this church thing and I have this little Bible time uh, that's part of my life. And you should have Bible time that is a regular part of your life. And, and, and I do this church thing and, and you should do Sunday school, right? We've been encouraging you to come and be part of Sunday school. You should do that too. You should tie yourself to a local church, all these things. But then we're like, okay, I've got my discipleship box covered. Now I've got to go do the stuff I have to do. So I've got to work and I've got to take care of the kids and I've got to get them to their activities. And so I'll, I'll go do the things I have to do and then I'll do my discipleship thing over here. No. Every area of your life conformed to, the, to, to Jesus Christ, that is the goal of discipleship. So the way I go to school, what I do at school, what I study at school, conform to the image of Jesus Christ. Conform to be like Jesus Christ. Right, And so every area of my life, my relationships, my money, my work, my pursuits, my ambitions, conform to Jesus. That's discipleship. So how do we do it? Like, we could talk for a couple hours on this, but let's just give you three simple categories for being a disciple. You have a meaningful, regular, personal time with God. You have a meaningful, you didn't just get through it personal and regular time with God. And so you should consistently, most days you should spend time, you open up your Bible and you read through it systematically. There's a Bible reading plan from the church. There's a hundred reading plans online. You may want to go slow and, and, and walk through each passage slow. You may want to read broadly, but you constantly are interacting with the word. And then you do this thing called prayer. God, here's some amazing things I saw about you in the Bible. I just want to say how great you are, God. Wow, how many good things are in my life because you're part of my life, Jesus. Thank you. Wow, sin. It's there. It didn't disappear overnight. Father, forgive me. God, this junk's going on in my life. What do I do about it? God, this stuff is happening. Would you just give me strength to face it? God, here's some things I need. Would you give them to me? You open the word and you pray. And so almost every day of your life, you should do that. And more often than not, or at least fairly often, you should find that that is a meaningful time, not just a get-through-it time. Discipleship. Second, there's this thing called the church. And it's kind of important to Jesus since he died to form her. And so you should be plugged into a local body of believers that is an expression of this big body of believers. And you should give your life there, your service there, your presence there. And you should be served there. And you should be encouraged there. And you should hear good teaching there. And you've plugged your life into this group of people, not this building, this group of people called the church. Discipleship and then relationships. To be a disciple, you need relationships that go beyond this big room into smaller and smaller groups where people know the gospel and bring the gospel to bear on the everyday stuff of life. They know the gospel and they apply the gospel. And this is discipleship. So what does it mean to make a disciple? I equip people to consistently have meaningful times with God as they're on with God. I equip them to read. I equip them to pray. I equip them to encounter God on a regular basis. I, I, I don't do it by myself so that they identify with me. And I'm the hero. I walk them into this community of faith called the believers so that they can sing great things about God together and so that they can hear the word together and so they can be part of other groups of other believers that are encouraging them together. And so I tie them into the local church and I press on them the importance of this thing called 
called the church. And then I have this deepening relationship with them where as I grow in knowing the gospel, I say, here's how the gospel looks in your life. Here's how the gospel applies to what you're facing. Here's how you live the gospel out. And you know what the amazing thing is? They do the same for me. How do I make disciples? That's how you do it. That's how you do it. Make disciples. And then he gives us these three kind of big categories that that explain how to make disciples. Go. Baptize. Teach to obey. And so go could be translated as you are going. Meaning in your everyday life, in your everyday rhythms, that's the place of discipleship. You don't go to church to take a discipleship class, and that's discipleship, though it's part of your discipleship process. But that's not the whole thing. It is as you're going, as you're living your everyday life, where God has called you to live it, how God has called you to live it, that's the context for disciple-making. It's not adding something new to your life and taking a bunch of extra classes for credit in your life. It is about doing everyday life uh, in a way that intersects with people and people intersect with you so that disciples increasingly grow in Jesus in all of life, not just the church part of their life. Go as you're going. Eat. Make disciples. Do your hobbies. Make disciples. Have coffee. Make disciples. Go to class. Make disciples. Right? Be in a study group. Make disciples. Right? Everyday rhythms of life that are going to increasingly interact with people who are far from God or other believers who need to be strengthened and encouraged. And you do that with an intentionality. That's the context where you help them grow in becoming more like Jesus. As you're going, and then here's a a thing that's true about the world you live in. There is roughly 42% of the planet that doesn't have a Christian neighbor who is going to go live out their faith in front of them, that doesn't have a Christian neighbor whose circle is going to overlap their circle. In fact, about 42% of the planet, and maybe even more than that, they are going to be born. They're going to grow up and play all kinds of ball and sports and do all kinds of fun things, harder than we do probably. They're going to become teenagers. They're going to get married. They're going to have kids. They're going to get old, and they're going to die. And what's different between them and you? Likely, they will never meet a follower of Jesus in their entire life. And so while we're doing our Christianity in the everyday rhythms of life, seeking out the people that our lives overlap with, there's a whole world out there that has nobody overlapping their life. Some of you have to hear the call to go. And more than that, some of you have to answer the call to go. And we're so distracted with our entertainment, we're so disqualified by the lust we've let consume our lives on these stupid phones, we're so distracted by our sin and our playpens that we don't hear the call of God and we're not qualified for the call of God. And God would say, go, so repent, go, Uh, uh, conform your life to the image of Christ, go, be discipled, and then go. There's a world of people who don't have you living next to them. You can't waste your life playing around with nothings while the world perishes and nobody's telling them. And that means Georgia Southern's campus and that means the nations that are hard to reach. Go. And as you're going, make disciples. As a church, we have several environments that are part of the church's discipleship process. We're sitting here in a room. We're gathered. We're gathered here to worship, right, to declare the great things of Jesus in song, to declare the great things of Jesus in sermons, to declare the great things of Jesus in a way that presses on your heart, stirs your affections for you to follow him. And we're here in a room, and it's also assimilation, right? 
So many of you, if you're guests, you're introduced to these people called Fletcher through this big front door called The Gathering. Now, don't stop there because you're not going to meet Fletcher here. You know, this is just that formal living room kind of thing where you, where you kind of you, you shake hands and do all that. But man, we want you in the living room. We want you hanging out with us. And, and that's what happens in Sunday school. And Sunday school is where you're going to be taught doctrine. Uh, you're going to be taught truths of life. You're going to be discussing the great things about Jesus together in a group of people that are fairly similar to you. And, and, and you're going to be talking about these things. And you're also going to find relationships there, right? You're not going to meet Fletcher here. There's just too many of us, but you're going to meet Fletcher there. And you're going to have this first step of relationships there. And then increasingly, we want you to go on mission through Sunday school. We want you to get together with a group of people, and there's people far from God, and you want to introduce these two groups together. Right? And then there's this thing called microgroups, and those are for accountability and application. Knowing the gospel of Jesus, pressing the gospel of Jesus into the corners of our lives and our hearts. Pressing it when encouragement is needed to see the grace of God in your life. Pressing it where sin is there to eliminate that sin and life and holiness come in its place. Go make disciples. Spend your days with some intentionality attached to them. Don't just go through your life. And you won't waste it if you do that. Secondly, show and share the gospel. Then invite people to identify with Jesus. Show and share the gospel. Then invite people to identify with Jesus. So, we dump 18-year-olds out of our parents' car onto this campus called Georgia Southern. And, and they're like, this is awesome. I'll do it. And it's dark. It's dark. It's dark. And if you go through all the ways it's dark, you know, there's a line out the door at Dingus's, but there's plenty of seats here. It's dark. And there's people you're going to meet every day who are swallowed up in the darkness of depression where their life has captured them. And you're going to meet people with near crippling anxiety. It's dark. And you're going to hear in subtle and overt ways an anti-God propaganda seeking to control your thoughts about God. It's dark. And we could go through detail after detail of its darkness. And you have professors that want to impart their darkness to you. I have so many friends that we love in college that are part of the children and family, which is an awesome place. You need to go work with kids and who are part of the education department. And that's awesome. We need Christian educators desperately. But it is eaten up with an anti-God philosophy of the world. And, and it's dark. And we hope you're here having your heart washed so that you can love and serve kids the way kids are meant to be loved and served by Jesus. But it's dark. And here's the thing about darkness. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And he invaded your life so that you became from dark to light, many of you, during this period of your life. And then you know what? He doesn't stop there. He says, you are the light of the world. And now you are this little bitty candle on this unroached people group. 26,000 people you're going to walk around this semester. And you're this little bitty flicker of light. Will you hide your light under a basket? Nobody does that, but we do that. Or will you set it up on a stand so that it gives light in the midst of the darkness you swim in? Show and share the gospel and then invite people to identify with Jesus. Look at it. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptizing, which we just saw, is this outward symbol of an inward reality where we once and for all identify with Christ and identify with the church that he built. So baptism, we could say it this way, it is identifying with Jesus or associating with Jesus. 
right? And then it is identifying with his church and associating with his church. And so what it is is I'm going to take, I'm in this great sea of humanity. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to raise my hand and I'm going to say, I'm with Jesus. I'm with Jesus's people all over the world and I'm with Jesus's people in the local church. Baptism says I'm with Jesus. I've identified with him. I've associated with him. My life is bound up with him. I won't separate from him. And my life is bound up with this jacked up group of people called the church. But they're the church that he loves and they're the church that he redeems. So I will gladly be part of them too. Baptize them. Teach them to identify with Jesus Christ. Right? Because we're all born dead in our sins and trespasses, separated from the life that is within God, following the course of this world wherever it takes. We were dead. And not because we were good, but because he's merciful, he appeared to us and he saved us because of the great love with which he loved us. He invaded our lives. He exposed our sin to us. He said, you're dark and you're dead. And we saw, I'm dark and I'm dead. And then he offered to of Jesus Christ. And so we saw that. We saw our sin and its eternal separation with all of its heart. We saw Jesus who died and rose again for our sins to make us alive. And the amazing thing happened. He made us alive. By grace we've been saved. And so what do I do with that? What do you do with that if you're sitting here and have never heard it? You're headed towards you. You're the master of your life. You set the rules and you are sinning against God, running away from God. You hate him, honestly. And Jesus comes and he confronts your life and he convicts you of the sin. And what he asks you to do is repent, which is a big church word that means quit going this way and start going that way. What's that way? Faith in Jesus Christ. All my hope of goodness, all my forgiveness, all my life, all my belonging, it's found in Jesus. I'm going to put the weight of my life and eternity in Jesus Christ alone. Turn, believe. Have you ever done that? Have you ever believed in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? I plead with you to do that. And when you do that, identify with him. Say I'm with him and say I'm with his church. Baptizing them. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. One of the, one of the things that, about disciple making is there are people far from God and you are called to share the message that was shared with you with them. Bless them, serve them, be hospitable to them, open your home to them, share meals with them, find ways to practically intersect their lives. But don't dare stop short. I'm saying, here's Jesus. Here's what he did. Please repent. Please come to Jesus. Please believe. Please identify with him. And you plead with people to accept him. You plead with people to come to a saving faith in him. So one of the things that shouldn't be new to you, you've been around a bit, serve and share with two. Two people in those circles of life you run in that are on your heart, two people that you're praying for, two people that you're intentionally finding ways to connect to in relationship, intentionally find ways to serve, and intentionally look for opportunities to talk about Jesus Christ. Serve and share with two, but when that moment comes, and you'll know it, don't turn away from the moment. Don't stay silent in the moment. Don't stop short of inviting them to believe in the moment. Declare Jesus. Invite them to believe in Jesus. You know, so many of you came to faith, and think about this. Now that you've been a believer a minute, you look back at them like, they were so awkward. They were uncomfortable, they were nervous, they were stammering. 
They kind of semi-spat the gospel out at me. Some poor student doing his best to explain these truths to me. Nervous as he can be. Nervous as she could be. But did it. And your eternity was shaped because they fumbled their way through it in obedience to Jesus, out of love for Jesus, and out of love for you. Now, we stumble through it. You don't need to be polished. God doesn't need you to have this perfect presentation. He needs you to love people and then open up your mouth about Jesus. And he'll, he'll change their eternity through interactions like that. Servants here with you. A disciple will be born and your life will never be wasted if you serve and you share. The last step in this process, teach God's word in a way that leads to growing obedience. Teach God's word in a way that leads to growing obedience. If we're honest with each other, the Great Commission has really just become a good suggestion for us. And most of the commands kind of went that way too. Like Jesus makes some pretty big demands on our lives, and then through Paul, he makes some other demands, and through Peter, he makes some more demands, and they're pretty weighty and pretty substantial. Obviously, coming out of the gospel, not works, but coming out of the gospel, he makes demands. And you're like, yeah, I like that one. I'll try that one. Man, these, eh, you know, this is the part of the buffet I don't visit, but man, I really like these few. And we, we feel a little guilty about that. So you know what we do? Oh, I'm just going to go deeper. I'm just going to learn more. And so I feel better. I don't feel as guilty because I'm, I'm learning when I should have this weight because I'm not doing. Right? And so we've substituted, we've called maturity knowing more versus called maturity doing more with what we know. You need people in your life that will check you towards obedience. People that are willing to say stuff like that to you. And then you need to be willing to be part of that in somebody else's life. Teach in a way that drives to obedience and isn't just satisfied with knowing and looking good. And so look at this, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And you think, well, teaching, good, that lets me off the hook. Because I don't stand up on stage and do that preaching thing. And I'm not a teacher. No, I don't teach in Sunday school. You go get them, teacher. And yes, it's true. Most of you won't stand on this stage and ever preach. And most of you probably won't ever be in front of a class teaching a classroom full of people in Sunday school. But every single follower of Jesus grows in knowing and following Jesus and is called to then impart that to someone else. That's what we mean by teaching. You grow, you know, you know Jesus, you, you, you follow Jesus, and then you take that and you give that to someone else who hasn't followed him as long or knows as much. But you do it in a way that leads to obedience. So you are a teacher, and your, your classroom may be two people big. Awesome. In part, walking with Jesus to those two people. Your classroom may be your family, your kids, and two people. Great. Then you impart following of Jesus into your family and those two other people. And you give your life to that and it won't be wasted. But do it in a very specific way. Teach them to obey. Don't teach them. Here's all the wonderful things Jesus said. Don't teach them. Here's all the wonderful things Jesus did. You should know about this stuff. Teach them in a way that presses on them the urgency of responding to Jesus and living like Jesus and allowing the gospel that's on the inside of us to change us into the outside. Press on them. You're not just meant to know Jesus' love. You're meant to actually love people, right? You're not meant to just know Jesus is holy and you're declared righteous. You're meant to actually go live righteously, right? You're meant to, to not just... Uh, to not just talk about compassion, but be compassionate. And so observe what I've commanded you. He commanded you 
to be compassionate. He commanded you by the mercies of God to bear with one another. He commanded you to forgive one another the way he's forgiven you. He commanded you to purify yourselves, to be holy the way he's holy. He commanded you to bear with one another. He commanded you to bear fruit. He commanded you to redeem the time and not waste it. And so how do we teach people and how do we let other people teach us in a way that shapes life, not just fills heads? Because the great missing ingredient of the Great Commission is the obedience, the observe part. Man, we've got a gajillion great things about God stored up in our minds. We have got a shelf full of studies. Some of us 10, 20, 30, 40 years long if, if we actually kept all the books. We know. Have we been pressed to obey? Have we been pressed to do out of love for Jesus and an overflow of the transforming work of the gospel? Obey. Teach them to obey. But it ends in comfort, doesn't it? You're going to fail to obey. You're going to fall into the rut of knowing and going deeper and discussing high theological things or or just being good. You're going to fail. The church is going to fail and get so distracted from the mission that we forget it for periods of time and have to reset. But what is true in all of our failures is the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to be right there with us. That he doesn't leave us in our failures. He doesn't leave us when we mess things up because it's all about Jesus. His authority commands and his presence remains in all of our faulting and all of our failures and of all of our kind of fitting and starting forward. It's a Jesus-centered command. So how are you doing at gospel obedience? How are you doing at gospel obedience? How are you doing at inviting others towards obedience and not just knowledge? A couple of practical things as we wrap up. First, how can you live with more open eyes and a more on-purpose schedule? How can you live with more open eyes and a more on-purpose schedule? Again, let me challenge you. First week of classes. Do this with me. Well, y'all had this weird half week. First full week of classes, let me encourage you to do this. We, we just take one challenge for me. No AirPods, no phones, no electronics, anytime you're walking to and from class. And you simply pray. And if nobody talks to you, great, more time for prayer. But if you meet somebody, then you're kind of like, oh, the sovereign God ordained a meeting. I should stop my prayer Talk to the Father and like, okay, God, what do you want to do in this person's life? Something earth-shattering may happen. Something earth-shattering may not happen. But you're opening your eyes and your heart to real human beings that are walking around you every day. That many people will not walk around you for the rest of your life. They won't have time to stop and have little conversations for the rest of your life. But you do now. And so how can you open your eyes and your ears to people? I would say that's a really practical way to start. A really practical way to do it this, this week. And so... And then weave your discipleship into what you're already doing. Bring one with you. Bring two with you. Share meals as often as you can with others instead of doing them by yourself. And make sure the point of all of it, I want to make disciples. I want Jesus to be known, and I want to grow all of life conforming to Jesus. Second, serve and share with two, which we've, we've already talked about. But who could you pursue? There's someone that you're running across most days, or there's somebody you're running across most weeks. There's somebody hopefully already on your heart and mind because we've been asking you and Be Intentional Month, who's the one or two people that you need to pray for and invite to a party, to a meal, or to class? And so who is that person? Big world of 26,000 people on campus and 7 billion on the planet and boil it down to two. And then go after two. 
Last one. What adjustments would be required for you to aim for obedience in yourself and others? What adjustments would be required for you to aim for obedience in yourself and in others? You must break the mentality that knowing more is Christian maturity. You must break the mentality that you need to go deeper in knowledge and not doing. You also need to break the mentality that obedience is legalism. Right? You have got to destroy forever the idea that obedience is a hard word that simply means legalism. No, it doesn't. Now, obedience in your own strength in order to earn the pleasure of God, that's called legalism. Obedience because God saved you, changed you, made his mercy more than your sin so that you want to go live your life in a way that isn't wasted but makes a difference. And so you live like Jesus and invite people to Jesus. That's called obedience. That's not called legalism. So you've got to get rid of that mentality. And so here's what I encourage you. Look at Jesus because beholding the glory of the Lord, we become like him from one degree to the next. So look at Jesus if you want to grow in obedience. And then second, you need to go ahead and set right now a commitment. I'm going to do something. I'm going to obey something. I'm going to take some little step in response to my D group, in response to my campus ministry, in response to the sermon, in response to Sunday school, in response to my group. I'm going to do something. My, my commitment is some step, some obedience flowing out of what I'm learning. And then you know what you should do is you should put somebody right beside you, get in a group with them and say, hey, I'm committing, I'm going to look at Jesus and I'm going to commit to, 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 to doing some stuff about what I'm learning. Do you want to make that commitment with you? And you check on me and I'm going to check on you and let's, let's push forward in this together. How can you aim towards obedience in yourself and aim towards obedience in others? Wasting your life and wasting your semester is super easy to do. Just, just go through it. It'll happen. But if you want to make an impact that's eternal, make disciples in the little moments of life. Let's pray. So, Father, in Jesus' name, what a task. What a glorious, beautiful task. What a Savior. That God would become human with all of its limitations. And he would live among us and be with us. That he would face our scorning and mocking and ridicule and slander, our whip marks and beatings and a death that we could inflict on him. That he might raise again from the dead and resurrect a people for himself. What amazing, what an amazing Savior. And Father, if there's anybody here that doesn't know him that way, God, would you convict them? Would your Holy Spirit burn an image of Jesus on their heart that they might turn and believe? And God, help us to see Help us to see the sea of humanity around us and to hear them and to walk towards them. Lord, to be people who are disciples and to be people who want to pour our lives out making disciples. Not for our glory, your glory, God. Your glory, God. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we come to our time of invitation, Jesus lived, Jesus died. And Jesus rose again for our sins, just like the scripture said. He has now sent his Holy Spirit in the world to convict you, to open up your eyes to this, for you to believe. Have you ever believed? Not have you ever done church stuff, not have you ever been religious, have you ever put your faith in Jesus? Would you do that? 
You can talk to us. Uh, we'll be around. There's a white sheet in your bulletin. You could fill it out and say, I just got to talk to somebody about this. We'll walk you through it. But if you're feeling and hearing that now, do not turn back. Take the step. Believe. But maybe for you, your eyes, people have been the scenery of your life. Your eyes, you, you, people have been an interruption to you, to what you're already planning to do. Your eyes, you hadn't been very intentional with your life and you hadn't really cared what's going on around you. And You've wasted a good chunk of this thing called life. Or maybe I just want fresh eyes and I want a fresh semester. I don't want to waste this one. You can come right here. You can go right where you are. Why don't you just pray and talk to the Father about that? Or maybe as I say, share and share with two. You already know those two. You've got to know those two by now. If you don't know those two, please get before God though He breaks your heart. It's two people. Why don't you care? So those two people are on your heart. Pray for those two. Ask God for ways to intersect those two, to pursue those two, to invite those two to Jesus. Not church, but church too, to Jesus. For God to be stirring in their hearts. Pray for that stuff. You can do that here. You can do that right where you are. We're going to stand and sing together. You respond how the Lord is leading you.